Good morning and welcome to PWGC's Environmental Echo. I'm your host, Paul Boyce, CEO and President of PW Grocer Consulting. And today, as always, we're bringing you guys another very exciting and interesting topic. We're going to be talking to uh, Kevin Hugerhide from Alpha Analytical, an environmental lab that we work with, uh, oh man, I'm going to say daily at this point. It doesn't end. It's, you know, we, we collect environmental samples, we bring them to a lab, they run the results for it, they, they analyze everything and give us the results and we get to see what the heck's going on out there in the world. So, um, you guys, this is going to be a really important topic, um, so I, I hope you enjoy it. Um, but before we start, I do want to say the best way to reach us, if you guys, if our listeners, anyone out there wants to get in touch with us, is through our website, which is www.pwgrocer.com backslash podcast. And if you guys have ideas, thoughts, concerns, topics, or you want to be a guest or anything like that, please reach out to us. Um, remember everything is generally environment, environmentally focused. So that's, that's the topic. Um, but yeah, reach us through the podcast or, or the, uh, the website app there, and, um, we'll get right back to you as quickly as possible. Uh, we've got some really responsive folks back in the office who take care of that. Uh, but getting back to our guests, we got Kevin Hugerhide, who is a vice president of technical sales at Alpha Analytical Inc. And you guys are based out of Massachusetts, correct? Correct. And which town in Massachusetts would that be? Uh, we actually have two facilities, one in Westboro and one in Mansfield. I'm, I'm familiar with the Westboro one, mainly. All right. Well, we've been partnering with these guys for several decades now, and they've provided excellent service to us every time we call on them. Um, they, they've provided testing services for I, I, every type of project we've done under the sun. That's where it's involved soil, water, air testing, um, you know, and, and everything in between. We can go on and on. Uh, but Kevin's got more than 40 years of experience in the environmental analytical laboratory field, uh, including operations management methods development, and project planning and design. So, Kevin, welcome. We're glad to have you here today. Thank you very much. I appreciate it, and it's great to be here. Thank you. Awesome. Also joining us, we got a, a, a repeat offender. We've got Chris Omskog, uh, who's a professional geologist and also a senior vice president at PW Grocer, and he heads up our um, environmental compliance division with Marianne Ashworth, who is not here with us. So, um, Chris, you've been with us oh man, for over 20 years yep. also. As I mentioned in previous podcasts, you started out as a wee little bitty intern. I did. I and did. Now you're a great big senior <laughs> vice president. So It's been a great run, and, and uh, thank you for having me. And Nice to be on with uh, Kevin, who I've known now for, uh, like you said, probably two decades, and we worked very closely together on numerous projects and, and the relationships you know, the relationship, one of the things we'll get to with the lab is so important for consultants to have a reliable lab that you can talk to before the project, during, and afterwards to really understand these samples, what, what it means, uh, and, and how to use it uh, most effectively. Absolutely. So, you know, let's, let's just get right into our conversation today, you know, and I, I briefly touched on it in my introduction about, you know, Alpha being an analytical lab, but can you give us really an explanation of who you guys are, uh, Kevin, and what your primary, you know, your mission is? Sure. So we are um, an environmental testing lab, as you had mentioned. Um, what we do is we analyze soil, water, air, um, biological tissue, you know, a variety of different matrices for uh, hazardous chemicals. So that could be, you know, benzene, lead, uh, you know, I could go down a list of hundreds of different, uh, different chemicals and things like that. But those, um, those analyses are performed in the laboratory. We use different types of analytical instrumentation to do that. 
and then that um, that information is then um, conveyed to you, right, the consultant, in terms of um, the results that uh, you then compare to uh, criteria that you're evaluating the data against. So it depends on what kind of program you're working under or, um, you know, what you're doing with the information and the data. Absolutely. So as, in terms of the environmental sampling, right, and you mentioned a bunch of them, the soil, water, air, um, how do you, what do you do the most of? What do you do the least of? You know, where do you guys really focus? Where do you spend most of your time? Is it soil, water, air? Is it a, a three-way split? You, you mentioned the, the tissue samples. I know we've caught crabs and stuff like that. Right. We had to blend them right. up and, yep. you know, real yeah. fun stuff, but <laughs> I got to do it. <laughs> yeah, I would say the majority of the analysis is probably soil. Um, it just, that just happens to be in terms of our practice, what we, uh, typically analyze most, um, 75%, maybe soil, if you're going to split it, uh, there's also a lot of, uh, vapor testing that's done a lot of air testing. What you find with environmental programs and sampling programs is that you, uh, pretty much hit three of the three of the matrices all the time. So you're going to look at soil, you're going to look at groundwater, and you're going to look at some type of vapor uh, vapor matrix, either soil vapor or ambient air, indoor air. So when we do a project or we will look at a, uh, when we look at a, a, a sampling scope, you're going to look at pretty much all three of those, all, all three of those matrices. So do you, and another thing that we sample with, and I, I don't know if, you, I think we may have to go to other labs, but it's like some of the bacteria. Do you guys do the bacteria and algae and all that stuff, or you sub that out when we send it to you? Yeah, so that, right, that brings up a very important part of the analytical process. So these uh, analytical methods or parameters have what we call holding times. Yep. And depending on the stability of the uh, either the chemicals or the, the parameters that you're testing for, they will have the ability to survive in that sample bottle for a certain period of time. Or, you know, when I say survive, I'm talking about the bacteriologicals. Yep. Um, with chemicals, you're talking about, you know, potential breakdown of those, uh, you know, those chemicals into other products. So what you want to do with an environmental sample is you want to preserve the integrity of that sample until it gets to the laboratory for analysis. So you get a clear picture. So you as a consultant get a clear picture of what is actually happening on the site. And uh, for bacteriologicals, you, you brought that up, right? Algae, yeah. algae and, um, you know, let's say coliform or, yep. or oh, something yeah. like that. It has a very short holding time. So we're in Massachusetts. It, takes a little while to get there um you know we we do transport transport samples uh every day yep uh the samples that are collected today are in the lab this evening but not in enough time to get the bacteriological samples done in certain circumstances and those things are dictated by the epa method and the holding time oh, yeah. correct and so yeah so I, as consultants we work with a number of a number of labs as well and right for certain things such as even certain soil testing for sieve analysis, or we do asbestos testing. So Alpha has their specialty that, you know, we use you a lot for the hazardous materials and things like that. But some of the bacterial and asbestos and mold, we might use other labs as well. Right, right. Yeah. 
Yeah, there are different, right, there are different practices yeah. that the laboratories uh, may specialize in. Um, and, you know, some of those we, we don't support. Well, what you, you brought it up as a transport service. Yeah. You know, what I really like working with you guys is you say, you know, call you up say, Kevin, I got to grab some samples for X, Y, Z. And uh, you guys will meet us on site the next morning with the appropriate sample bottleware or glassware to collect those samples. And, uh, you know, whether or not we're sampling them right then and there, you'll either wait until we have them, you'll take them back, or you'll actually come back later in that day and meet us on site and take our samples and get them up to your lab, which is, you know, to us, that's invaluable. Right. So that that is actually when you look at the laboratory operations, so you have different uh, aspects of analysis that occur within the laboratory depending on what class of chemical you're dealing with. But pretty much every laboratory, I would say every laboratory, has this department called the either logistics or the bottle prep department where we have um, where the methods that, uh, Chris, you had mentioned before, EPA methods, dictate what type of bottleware the sample needs to be collected in. In some cases, there needs to be preservatives in the bottles. Um, and there's a department within the laboratory that actually prepares those, you know, sometimes referred to as kits or sampling kits. Uh, so though that operation of the laboratory can kind of be duplicated in various parts of the country, for instance. So we have a service center in North Jersey, uh, you know, Alpha in, in particular has a variety of different service centers and that service centers function their main function is to provide the glassware, the pickup, the logistical support that's needed in in support of your projects and support of the field operation. So, yeah, I mean, it's it's been fabulous working with you guys in that respect. Thank you. It it also kind of that step and when it, it eliminates you know using older glassware that could be cross contaminated, and also the pickup. What it does is it reduces the number of people involved in that chain of custody, which uh, you know, when you do take a sample, especially if it's a high-priority project and there's a chance that the data may be questioned, you know, each time you're handing that sample off to someone, it's under a different chain of custody. And, and occasionally you need to ship things via FedEx. And, and when it's being shipped, you don't have that same control. So what I like, too, is just that, you know, if, if B2B Grocer is not delivering something to a lab, dropping it off, your person is picking it up, and it really reduces the number of hands that are touching those samples, those coolers, and therefore the validity of it, you know, it stays. It, that's very important to us as consultants that the data is usable. So Right, right. Yeah, and once we take possession of it, it's our responsibility from there until you get the report get the in results. Your hands. That's right. right, correct. Well, you, you mentioned something else. So it's always very interesting to me is like holding times, you know, and I, we understand we're not your only customer or client, right? So how do you manage that in a lab? You've got, um, you know, a finite number of technicians and machines, and you can only process so many samples at once. How do you avoid, you know, our samples sitting there beyond the holding time in your lab if everybody's looking, you know, a few years ago there was a rush on lead in drinking water samples. Right. How did you got, not that lead had a holding time, that was, what's like six months or six something. Six months, correct. But if it was something else like that, that's all of a sudden it's a, it's a hot topic and it's got a, a shorter holding time, how do you manage that? 
Well, a lab has capacity, right? It has limited capacity. Um, one of the things that helps with that whole process is what we call a lab information management system. So, you know, LIMS for short. So everybody kind of throws that term around all the time. I like that. <laughs> um, but what that helps, uh, what that helps do is it helps keep track of scheduling. So really the, the whole process of the analysis begins when that sample is logged into that management system. So the sample is, you know, you provide some type of identification from the field the laboratory assigns it a laboratory number. Um, that uh, sample then gets logged into the system and the analysis that was requested gets put in into the system. Now, programmed into that is some logic in terms of holding time, in terms of, you know, work lists, uh, you know, everything from, from that level to the point of, you know, instrument calibration and reporting. So... That's really the brain, the nervous system well, that's, of, that's the, what of the laboratory. I, 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 it, it makes is, you is feel that. comfortable, but every time I submit stuff that's got a short fuse on it, I'm always <laughs> like, man, I hope they're not busy. I hope not anyone else is pressing for a 24-hour right. turnaround or right. something. And, and, and that information system helps us to manage that so that if we are busy or let's say that we have, you know, we're, we're concerned about reaching capacity, we can reach out to you and say, hey, you know, we may either have to reach out to another, another laboratory for support or, you know, you could make the choice on your own to, let's say, you know, use another laboratory that you work with that isn't, you know, is not necessarily facing the same challenges. But that system helps keep track of all that. And then the first step, one of the key steps, again, is the relationship between the consultant and their multiple labs or vendors. And one of the things that we do in-house is, when we have a large order or a time-sensitive order, we will call Alpha and say, we have this coming in, you know, next week. Can you handle it? Is it going to be put too much of a stress on your system? Because, again, for us as consultants, we want to satisfy our clients' needs, their time demands. And, you know, and, and we want to know if that is going to put too much stress on you or any other lab. We, right. we might split it up the sample or, or send it different places. So, again, that's part of the relationship between the consultant and their vendors, their labs, their, you know, their, their kind of trusted team to kind of have those discussions up front, which is a very common, very common that when we have rush orders, we will get on the phone with Kevin or and his associates and say, this is coming down the pike. Can you handle it at this time? Is there anything we should do differently so you can handle it? You know, you know, and it's very, very honest back and forth with when you can right. and when you might be at that limit and it'll be putting too many stresses on it. Right. So. And as a laboratory, we certainly yeah. appreciate that. And, you know, I, I've mentioned this to you numerous times, Chris, we appreciate yeah. that from, you know, from your folks. Uh, you do see the laboratory as part of an integral part of the yeah. team, which, uh, which is important. Um, it, it's important in terms of data integrity. It's important in terms of sample integrity um, that we, you know, that we understand, you know, your project yeah. You understand where we're at, and we work together. So that's it's always been appreciated yeah. with uh, with working with you folks. And historically, I've been on due diligence property transaction pro projects where they are closing on a certain date. They're closing on Friday. They need that data. Right. And I'd go around. I'd ask the lab, if we take the sample on Monday, can we get the results by Thursday? And it's happened more than once where the results were not in my hand, and that property transaction was put off 
And so that's why, you know, the honesty between vendors is so important. You know, can you supply it or can't you? If you can't, that's fine. I'd, I'd appreciate an honest answer and we'll figure it out. But that's, a, you know, it's something very important for consultants to have that open line of communication. Well, you started off with its relationships, you know, yeah. so it is important to have a, a good right. relationship from us as the consultant with the environmental lab or labs. So uh, it really does start with that. Um, another topic we wanted to touch on was data validation, right? So we get tons of data. We get all sorts of different things about all spikes this and blank this. And, you know, I don't even know what half of the stuff means and I'm supposed to interpret this. How do you guys manage the data, Kevin? And, and can you explain to us why why data validation is important? What it is? <laughs> that's a huge. T- that's probably enough for another podcast. Um, you got twenty but, seconds. But, uh, twenty seconds What's to answer that one. Speech, okay. Yeah. Um, so there, there's really, I, I guess, there's a couple of different aspects to data. Uh, one is really set by you as the consultant in terms of what's the expectation for the data? What are you using it for? And I think that's really the main question or, or, or I guess the main focus initially is what are your objectives with the data? What's it going to be used for? Is it, you know, a first look at a site? Are you doing, you know, a preliminary investigation? Are you closing a site? Is it, um, you know, routine monitoring? Uh, Once that's established and determined, then there is generally what we call a QA project plan that's developed that kind of lays out what those expectations are, what the limitations are in terms of, uh, you know, all those things you talked about, the spikes, the internal standards, all of that, all of that, yeah, blah, 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 blah. Um, So, you know, the, the, the next step is really determining usability of the data, which is, which is not necessarily validation because usability has to do the, you're dealing with samples that are not pristine. You know, you're not taking clean drinking water samples. So there are challenges with the analysis that occur. Uh, you know, there's interferences. You may have, uh, you know, a, a high concentration of one component that's interfering with another. And so you really have to then look at the data and say, okay, based on these indicators, these quality indicators, like field blank spikes, you know, all, all that stuff, is the data usable? Is the data usable for what I intended to use it for? Uh, that is done really on your level. You could engage a data validator in that. Um, the data validation process is probably a step even beyond that, where you're looking at things like, you know, was the instrument calibrated properly? You know, did the analysis occur within holding time? Are there excursions from the method that occurred that would, um, that would yield this data invalid? Was there enough of an excursion from the method that the consultant would have to say, I can't use this data. I, I really, you know, it's, it's not valid information. So that's kind of the steps in the process of uh, data from the data user, you being the data that's user. That's us, the end user. Right, yeah. the data user and what you do to evaluate um, what you do to evaluate that data. That's help clear it up for me. Yeah. yeah, and originally we get the data. We'll, we'll take a first look at what the, what the findings are, 
And then, you know, later on we dive down deeper into into how it was done, if anything was outside the holding times and things like that, to question, you know, to basically say how tight and how usable is that data. And right. once it gets presented, will could anyone kind of call it into question, right. you know? Yeah, and that that's, I think that's the biggest part of it too, is to take a look at, you know, can the data be questioned because of these occurrences? Mm -hmm. um, the methods have limitations. So the methods when they're developed are developed using actual samples. Uh, there's, um, you know, there's a validation process that occurs with the method with other, you know, laboratories. There's usually, a, um, you know, a lab validation or a method validation step in the process. And so these limits are based on actual environmental conditions. Um, and, you know, that information is what you use and that information in the method is what you use to evaluate the usability of that data. All right. Well, moving along, uh, and here's something that I absolutely have to bring up, it's the emerging contaminants, right? We've talked about this on numerous other podcasts, but we finally got the lab guy in here, you know? So, obviously, PW Grocer, we've been dealing a lot with the, the PFOA, PFAS, the 1,4-Dioxane, and, and who knows what else is coming. Some personal care products, things like that, Everything, too. Everything, right? Right. right. So, I mean, how do you guys adapt as these things start to evolve and these new compounds are now being regulated and, you know... A lot of them, even this, the, the, you mentioned the methodologies, you know, some of them don't really have a standard methodology. Right. You go from right. lab to lab or place to place and it's, it's different. And, you know, am I still getting apples to apples or am I getting oranges to apples? What are you guys doing with the, with the emerging compounds or contaminants rather? Well, I think when you look at, when you look at anything, let's say on the horizon in terms of contaminants um, from a commercial lab standpoint, there's always the business aspect of it. You know, is this a flash in the pan or is this actually going to take hold and, you know, be something that, that needs to, you know, that, that will progress um, into something viable in terms of a, you know, a business unit within, within the laboratory. And sometimes, these things are on the horizon and they're not quite there yet. So it's kind of a little bit of a balancing act uh, with the perfluorinated compounds. Uh, we saw other, other things developing within, within the industry, right? There, there were lawsuits that were starting to occur. There was more of, there was more of an awareness of these. And so, you know, we decided to get into the, into the market you know, two or three years ago. Uh, there's also, you know, there's also initial financial outlay. So, uh, you know, in, in the case of the perfluorinated compounds, these are very difficult things to analyze for. And a lot of times what you'll find is in terms of environmental contamination, when you look at these chemicals or compounds, sometimes the things that make them so versatile is also what makes them extremely difficult to analyze and extremely difficult to treat and remediate, right? So you look at perfluorinated compounds, they're in everything. I mean, I'm probably wearing them today, uh, <laughs> you know, and you know what the challenges are in trying to treat them and get rid of them while well, we face some of the same challenges in the laboratory. And, you know, there is, there is sometimes a barrier to getting into the, into the market because of the cost of the instrumentation or the cost of setting up the laboratory. Um, and it's, it's understanding what those limitations are, um, you know, 
an instrument to do perforated compound analysis runs half a million dollars, you know, for one instrument. But you also have to understand that the limits on these things are also very, very low. So now you have to look at the environment in the laboratory. What are your analysts wearing? Um, you know, what kind of preparatory area do you have? Uh, you know, you're, you're dealing in levels that are, you know, part per trillion That's levels. Right. Uh, so the whole design of the operation and the, and the analysis has to focus on, you know, what are you analyzing for and how low are you going? <laughs> Which in addition to what the lab does, the the sample technician, or you know, just even sampling it, what clothes is he wearing? What, oh, the field what guys, type yeah. of right. what type of pen? You right. know, how is that well installed? You know, all those questions come into effect when you go to sample it. And was the sampling methodology did they potentially put cross contamination in that sample again? Since parts per trillion you're looking at is such a minute, you know, tight little. Uh, little standard to achieve it, it you know all that plays into effect I mean, right our, our right. listeners you know just to give them a perspective you know uh, parts per million right think of a, a million dollars single dollar bills you know we're talking five or ten ten dollars out of a million right then you go to a billion which is a thousand million right <laughs> i got 10 parts per billion so i've got ten dollars out of 10 billion singles right it's like yeah. talk about needles in a haystack and then you know a trillion which is a thousand billion, which is a million million people. It's just, it's, it's so low of a number right. that you guys are trying to analyze for. It's, I don't even know how you find it when you're doing this stuff. Well, I, I draw the, you know, there's a lot of analogies out there in terms of what's a, what's a part per trillion. And I, I think, you know, just you use dollar bills. Um, I thought of it in pennies. Yeah, it's it's easy to, you know, it's easy to imagine a hundred pennies on the table and one of those pennies is a part per hundred. Yeah. Now you're going to a part per quadrillion. And if you had a, a you know, or a part per trillion, if you had a trillion pennies, it would be about 25 tons of pennies. So yeah. that's not going to fit on your kitchen table. No. But it would be, you know, if you were looking at part per trillion, it would be one of those pennies <laughs> out of those 25 tons of pennies. So, you know, it's... It's a small part of the whole, um, but there is technology and instrumentation that's able to detect that. Um, and a lot of times, well, in, in most circumstances, you go through a preparatory step in the method where you take the sample and um, those compounds are either extracted by some type of uh, technique and then a concentration occurs in that step and then it's introduced onto the instrument. So. Sometimes it's not, you know, you're not looking at it in an ambient sample. You're doing some type of preparatory step um, in the process. And then, Chris, you brought up cross-contamination, which is a huge, um, you know, part of consideration when you're sampling. And it's not just for low levels. I mean, what we found recently over the past couple of years with COVID is that people taking uh, let's say ambient air samples uh, are using hand sanitizer. So, mm. you know, you have the alcohol in the hand sanitizer. It's volatile. It's ending up in, in the, the air, room there. In, the, in the air sample, yeah. and it's masking that what you're looking for in in the sample. So we've seen a lot of that over the past couple of years. So it, it's all of those types of considerations um, as part of the process in taking an environmental sample that, you know, so you don't introduce something into the sample that you don't necessarily want there. 
and the lower the lower the concentration and the more prominent that chemical is like perfluorinated compounds the more likely it is to possibly introduce that into the sample well on the other side of things we talk about sometimes you have to dilute a sample to get Correct. a result um, we recently had a client who had a propane leak in his home and the propane was you know we took the air sample with the suma canisters we brought them to you guys and it was off the charts and you had to dilute can you explain to us the whole dilution process and how that works because now the, the sample is just so rich it's right beyond your instrument's range of uh well i don't want to say detection but <laughs> you, you peg a needle and you don't know what you really got correct yeah and and that can occur if you have one particular component of the sample that is in a very high concentration so the instrument has a limit or what we call a range of analysis from a low a low concentration to a higher concentration. In some cases, you will have a situation like you just explained with um, one particular component of the sample kind of exceeding the limit of the instrument and in, you know for that particular uh, for that particular analysis and that will result in having to dilute the sample so that you bring the concentration of the sample within the range that the instrument is operating in so how do you know how much to dilute it by if, you know the thing like i said we, we yeah, peg it out we're, it, we're off it, the it, range <laughs> do you cut it in half do you cut it in a quarter a tenth what, what's the process sometimes there the instrument can give you some hints sometimes, you know, and it's the experience of the analyst too. You, you will get some type of response from the instrument. Um, you know, you will see it, it. It's not always necessarily like reading a gauge where the needle, you know, pegs and stays there. Okay. Um, the instrument will give you some type of response. And based on the experience of the analyst, they may look at it and say, well, in the past, I've seen this type of response. So I know. I have to make a five-time dilution or I have to dilute this sample 10 times or whatever. And sometimes it's just hit or miss. Yeah. So we go in and we cut it by five and it's still, still too far. Yeah. Right. And yeah. And that happens. I know. That's like yeah. I said, I just, I, that's, that always fascinated me is how do you guys decide? <laughs> Cause we're not calling the shots at that point. It's entirely up to you. And you know, right. we're relying on you guys to tell us. So that, that's interesting. It's a little right. bit of a, not so much, it's a little bit of art to it. <laughs> right. So, right. All right. Interesting. I was going to ask a little bit about, I know you work for consultants, municipalities, and, and you know, some, probably some private uh, clients as well. What are the, some of the common issues you see when you get samples? Or some of the, some of the more, more common issues that, that cause some of the samples to be questionable, the data, that you, either the way they're handing them over to you, not keeping them on ice, things like that, you know, just for our audience so they can understand, you know, just common problems that you, you as the lab, when you get your samples, you know, would like to see change so to make the, make the data more usable. Um, yeah, I think in the process, um, it, it could be a variety of different things. I mean, I think, you know, we brought up chain of custody um, a while back. I think legibility on the chain of custody, you know, not everyone has that uh -oh. perfect penmanship. No, it's and, coming back and, to us, Chris. <laughs> no, no, no. I don't like this. Is, uh, you know, that's one, that's okay. something, right? Yeah. Uh, something on, on that. Um, it, oh, goodness. There's, you know, there, there's a variety of different things that, that, you know, I could, I could bring up, um, you know, the type of ink used on the labels in the, you know, on the jars, uh, the samples get iced. So every, you know, pretty much every sample 
that's collected needs to be preserved on ice at you know four degrees C plus or minus uh, you know a certain limit. So the ice you know obviously is going to melt, and if you don't use the right type of ink on the label in the jar, yeah, bleed, it's yeah. it's going to come off, and then we can't tell what sample Guilty. is what sample is <laughs> what. Um, yeah, I, you know, capping capping the jars properly. You know, you're putting you know you're putting soil in a jar. You're going to get soil particles on the threads of the jar, and you know the ice is going to melt. The water is going to leak into the jar, and now you have a sample that is you know in that case yeah. is the sample's been compromised. Um, another big thing is, and and this goes to the to the issue of the perfluorinated compounds. Um, there is you know there are products with uh, like firefighting foam. Yeah. Right. Which sure. is pretty much 100 percent perfluorinated compounds. Uh, we get that into the laboratory. And if you can imagine, you're in a laboratory that's designed to be detecting uh, concentrations at the part per trillion level. And now we get 100 percent product into the lab. Well, that can shut you down for a week. It contaminates instrumentation. It contaminates wow. glassware. It contaminates bench tops. Uh, you know, it's it's that type of thing. And that goes back to this idea or concept of this partnering right yeah. with with the laboratory is if you know you're collecting a sample that is very very high concentration it doesn't necessarily have to be you know perfluorinated compounds it could be anything but you know you're collecting a sample that's very high in concentration of a particular compound or substance that you're trying to detect the biggest thing is you know give the lab the heads up because we'll that. treat that differently right we'll 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 handle the sample differently. We'll handle it differently in the laboratory to make sure that we don't end up with, you know, contamination issues, cross-contaminating other samples, which happens. Um, or you know, one of your guys or, getting uh, hurt or injured or, you know, exposed or... Right, right. That's another big thing. Yeah. For sure. Yeah. Good point. That's perfect. But, um, you know, as technology continues to evolve, and we talked about the parts per trillion, and, and who knows if we're going to... Quadrillion or whatever's next. Um, what do you guys see on the horizon? Are, are there any compounds or contaminants you guys have your eyes on? Are you guys looking at anything, or this is something you want to keep hold to your vest, to, to, close to the vest for the moment? You know, I really don't know. And our our business is really driven by regulation, right? As as yours is as well oh, right yeah. i mean it's if, if there weren't so, a, if yes. there weren't a regulation for it you wouldn't be you know you wouldn't be addressing it so we can look at things like personal care products you know endocrine disruptors you know you you have some of these things that are on the horizon or potentially on the horizon but there's no there's no regulations for it there's no uh treatment uh, you know, treatment standards for them. You're not looking for these things necessarily in, you know, water and wastewater. You're not looking for them in drinking water. There's really no methods for it. You brought up methods, you know, a while back. Um, and it's, you know, they're there. We know they're there. But there's really nothing at this point that indicates there's any movement in that direction from the analytical standpoint, and there and there may be there may be research going on that we're not aware of, um, but it's not really uh, you know it's not really something we see on the horizon yet. Has has alpha ever been like 
you know, leading the development of a standard on how to analyze for a specific compound? Have you guys ever done that in the, in the past? Um, well, we are actually uh, we are actually one of seven laboratories that's involved in the multi-lab validation study for the new uh, PFAS method, the, the oh. new perfluorinated compound method, uh, EPA 1633. Um, so we are, you know, as I, I, I had mentioned earlier, um, in the session here that each uh, method that is developed goes through a method validation study. So we're one of seven laboratories um, participating in that study. Any idea when that's going to wrap up? or <laughs> I, It's the, been the going per, on for a long time. It's, yeah, yeah. That's a real, it's keeping us busy for sure. Yeah. It's been going on for a while and it's going to continue, huh? It looks like it, yeah. Oh, man. Well, you know, then back to, you know, your technicians, you know, how hard is it to find people these days? I mean, on our side of the, you know, table, so to speak, in the consulting and engineering world, it is, it's been a challenge lately. Um, to say challenge is probably an understatement, uh, and I'm sure you guys are in the same boat, but um, how, do, how are you finding staffing? It's a it's a full time job for a staff of, of folks within our organization. Um it's not a, you know, I, I, I graduated from William Patterson College with a chemistry degree. And, at, you know, the year I graduated, I think there were probably a couple hundred, you know, business majors. There were education majors, nursing majors. There were three of us in the chemistry department. I mean, it's just not, you know, it's <laughs> oh, not one of the it's not one of the more popular, uh, you know, what not one of the more popular uh, majors. Um, and it it's it's difficult to find people. It's very difficult. We have a, you know, we have a, you know, HR staff that's kind of chipping away at it every day. I mean, are you, I assume you're hiring right now like the rest of us. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. We are, we do have, you know, a lot of open requisitions, um, for, you know, for hiring. Um, and we, we are recruiting, um, you know, we have close to 500 employees in, in our company. That's so we have some you know, we, we are looking for people, <laughs> and I, as is everyone. I mean, there's a help wanted uh, sign on every window that you pass these days. And does the lab, do you guys operate in two shifts a day? Is it just a regular eight-hour day, five days a week, or is it six days a week? What's the uh, typical operating schedule for the lab right now? So for us, and it, it has been like this for a number of years, we operate 24-7. So we have wow. three shifts. Um, we have three shifts that, that it was operate two. Uh, <laughs> three. Uh, seven days a week. Yeah, Seven days a week, too. Yeah. All right. That yeah. helps for sure. Oh, and, and with COVID, I mean, that's not a job where you can you can work remotely either. So nope. that presented a whole bunch of new issues, you know, staffing right. that I imagine. Right. You right. Know, now everyone's coming out of COVID, trying to get staff right. back in. You've, you've kind of dealt with it the whole time. Right. Right. Uh -huh. Yeah, that was a challenge because obviously you can't, you know, prepare a sample from home. You have to be in the lab you need to the do that. And for sure. You need the, right, the yeah. instrumentation. So, yeah. Oh, wow. Chris, anything you want to ask before we wrap up for the day that um, we didn't cover? I was just going to talk about some of the, you know, obviously you're involved in a lot of a lot of professional business associations, groups, Brownfield uh, associations, things like that, where I know you're heavily involved in, in Alpha Sponsors, many events. You also kind of uh, get on the board, which I think is very important because it kind of puts you really close to the consultants, the environmental attorneys, the developers, so you can kind of put yourself as part of the, the team. So I don't know if you want to talk about some of the associations that you see very beneficial in the tri-state area, kind of getting 
the word out and, and kind of spreading, you know, spreading messages about environmental consulting work, environmental work, redevelopment, brownfields. What, what, what are some of the associations that you kind of, um, you know, you, you see doing a lot of good work in the neighborhood? Yeah, so I can think of three, three in particular. Um, one is the New York City Brownfield Partnership, um, which, uh, you know, I guess from, from a perspective of my participation in these groups is really to understand, you know, understand the regulations, understand some of the challenges that you folks are facing, right, from that point down, because that also helps to build that team, you know, in terms of discussing projects with you, understanding what your objectives are with, with the data understanding, um, you know, what new regulations are coming down the line. So being part of those, um, you know, and the partnership, right, is really there to uh, work together with, uh, you know, the, the mayor's office mm -hmm. of environmental remediation the consultant community, the laboratory community, vendors. So getting all of those folks together and um, having these, uh, you know, regulatory roundtables, these updates is, is very important to me to understand what's going on as a whole in the industry. Uh, the other one is uh, Long Island Association of Professional Geologists, which, you know, is a, is a group that meets here on the island. Um, and that, that too you know, there's some been, been some very interesting topics uh, related to uh, issues and things going on specific to the island. You know, there's a very mm -hmm. unique environment here, right? There's a very unique ecosystem uh, in in this area, uh, which I find very interesting. Uh, and the other one is the um, Brownfield Coalition of the Northeast, which, again, is more of a broader, uh, uh, you know, a group that as a broader reach in terms of uh, its geography. And so you get uh, perspectives from different states. So you look at, you know, Connecticut, uh, New Jersey, you know, some of the other states and understanding their, uh, some of the challenges there, understanding the regulations that are, you know, that are coming down the coming down the line there and what the requirements are. And that helps us as a laboratory because, as you can imagine, the more states you get involved with, the more standards you have to understand and comply with. And New York is different than New Jersey is different than Connecticut is different than Massachusetts. And so you, you, you kind of have to put an operation together that addresses all of these different mm -hmm. aspects of environmental analysis. Uh, what, what I like about Alpha also is you guys do um, periodically put out like some updates and informational like webinars and you guys will inform us often as to right. what's going on with different contaminants or technologies and, and you guys as a whole. So that that's also appreciated on the consultant side. So thank you for that. Yeah. And, and it helps train some of our newer staff too to kind of get up to speed with Absolutely. proper right. sampling methodologies and techniques as well. So Right, right. So, yeah. Kevin, uh, we're at the end of our time here, but uh, is there anything we didn't cover that you wanted to bring up or mention about the company or environmental sampling or analysis in general? I don't really have anything more. I think we've covered a lot here um, we did, in this sure. discussion, and uh, I would be happy to participate in another one if you want to develop any of these ideas further. Um, I really appreciate being here and uh, appreciate the invite. We will take you up on that, and uh, we do thank you for joining us today. So just to, to, to recap, uh, I want to thank our guests today, 
Uh, Kevin Hugerhide, Vice President of Technical Sales at Alpha Analytical, based out of Massachusetts. And I'm Chris Omskog, our Senior Vice President of, at PWGC, who heads the Environmental Compliance Division. And again, I'm your host, Paul Boyce, CEO and President of PWGC. Uh, lastly, just to reiterate, if you guys want to reach us, www.pwgrocer.com backslash podcast. This is the Environmental Echo, and I thank our listeners for joining us. <laughs>